In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Steven, I feel like a lot of your priors took a beating in week nine, man. It was it was a unique week in the NFL, and the fact that Josh Allen looked sort of flawless, I think, summarizes just how much we thought we knew that got... I don't know. I mean, some of it we'll throw out the window, right? Some of it, like, some of these results are just small sample blips, but some of the things we might put some more credence in... Uh, I'd, I'd argue that my priors were had a good weekend, actually. Wow, wow. I mean, Tom Brady looked washed. Uh, the Ravens bounced back with an, uh, a thorough victory on the road. You already you already corrected your Tom Brady washed thing, though. Yeah, but I'm back on it now. <laughs> it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to reel me back in. Drew Locke, like, lost. What else did I get? Uh... Chiefs again. They're the only team that matters. Uh, the Steelers <laughs> barely beat uh, someone named Gilbert. I don't know his first name, and I refuse to learn it. Oh, and Kyler looked great. My priors are, are in great shape. How dare you? You're just focusing on the negative. You're the problem with this country. <laughs> the, Chiefs, the Chiefs barely beat the Panthers. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Panthers played out of their mind and, and, and uh, converted like 15 fourth downs and still barely barely were in the game. Of the but, uh, I am uh, Chris Corman, uh, joined by Steven Ruiz. Uh, which, you know, you've probably been listening to the show for a while now, so you, you know that. But we are the uh, NFL squad for For the Win. Uh, we're going to dig into a bunch of those games. Uh, I think we're at the point in the season where there's five or six each week that we're really going to focus in on Saints, Bucks, uh, obviously, Bills, Seahawks, Dolphins, Cardinals, which uh, I feel it was a game we hyped up and I was worried and it was somehow better than, than we hyped it up that, to be. That never happens either. I know. Um, Ravens, Colts, Steelers, Cowboys, Chiefs, Panthers. We'll dig in on those games, uh, sort of take a look at what they tell us about where the league's going. Uh, I do think that our, I mean, we were pretty sure last week that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were uh, probably a step or two ahead of the rest of the NFC, and that no longer appears to be the case. Um, and meanwhile, the AFC, the Ravens, and Steelers, we felt for a while now have been chasing the Chiefs. So, you know, we can sort of update where that stands. Uh, we're going to get into two of Stevens' uh, take dumps. Uh, that is our Monday morning feature. Uh, we're recording this Monday morning, uh, a little bit of a change in schedule, but we can go over what. Uh, some of his analysis, his quick analysis from over the weekend on Deshaun Watson and Justin Herbert, what he's seeing in the tape for those two quarterbacks. Uh, so, you know, we'll dig in on all that, but 
uh, first I want to, uh, I, I heard that there might be a new president elect, uh, and, uh, I don't necessarily want to dig too deeply into, uh, everything surrounding that, but I am excited to have a, a president who will probably not use football as a political cudgel. I, I'm just guessing that we will not have to, uh, for the last four years, every Sunday morning I've logged on and thought, is, is this Sunday going to be one where all of a sudden NFL players are being used, uh, you, you know, to rally some guy's base uh, around racist ideas? And, it, you know, it happened time after time after time. Uh, I, I'm just looking forward to a president who maybe keeps the politics out of sports uh, and, then, and then maybe tackles actual issues facing football, like, there are there are things that are seriously needed to be looked at with football, like uh, how old should kids be when they start tackling each other? It, it, you know, can we make the game safer by changing those uh, those ages when that happens? Uh, the NCAA, but we're still still trying to figure out the name, image, likeness uh, situation in college football, and and we're just nowhere near a place where players are compensated for what they bring to the schools. Uh, it's just not, and the situation is not uh, fair to so many college athletes. Uh, so these are things that could be looked at. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to say something. I think that you're just upset that Trump brought back big 10 football and now Penn state can't win a football game. Like, I mean, that's, has, they're not that's, in big 10 football. And by the way, they lost to, Corman is a, a Penn State grad. He's just a little upset that they got blown out by the Maryland Terrapins, a, a football power. Yeah, that is that is true. I I uh, I did not want Big Ten football to return because I just I I had predicted correctly that Penn State would have a uh, hugely down year. It's, it wasn't. It didn't have anything to do with safety of uh, young men who aren't paid and who were forced to come back to play, even though every other college sport remained, um, remained canceled for some reason. I'm not really sure. Uh, I, I guess it's probably money, but, um, Steven, one thing I, I enjoyed during the, I guess what the, the election was called on Saturday, like mid morning, mid afternoon. I don't know. It happened sometime Saturday after, uh, the votes were cast on Tuesday. And so there was this interminable period where people were, I mean, Twitter was somehow more of a hellscape than it usually is. Uh, but one thing I really liked was the real data nerds who had, who had super studied the votes and where they were coming from and how they would trend and had predicted all along that Trump would have would build a lead on Tuesday and then it would slowly switch toward Biden as uh, mail-in ballots were counted and, and reports were resulted from certain areas. And I, I just loved the data nerds like complaining like about why aren't people paying attention? Because it reminded me so much of NFL data nerds and like them seeing the prevailing narratives coming out of like old school media and you know, like Ryan Tannehill is suddenly an MVP and them all being like, wait, wait, like we've already told, like we, we showed you number after number that would, that would disprove what you were saying. Um, so I, I, I thought it was such an interesting, uh, it, it's, it's understandably infuriating for people who really do the work 
to understand the numbers behind something and then to see other people just sort of run with the narrative and sort of go with the story that they want it to be rather than actually trying to figure it out. Yeah, that was that was actually kind of refreshing to see. <laughs> like, it's not just us that that has to deal with these issues Like in the football world. Obviously, it's <laughs> stakes are a lot lower. Like, they, they aren't as important. But, yeah, the data nerds, they they always end up winning. Just just side with them, and you you end up looking smart. And yeah, and that's, that's always been my my approach, and it works. Go with the nerds. That's that's what we're here to say. And and honestly, that's a good segue into our next discussion, which is that COVID nineteen continues to rage. We keep bringing it up because it is an important story. Uh, it is going to continue to impact the NFL. I mean, there were like literally last week as we were trying to figure out how many players were out and uh, which teams were impacted the most like websites that, uh, that corral how many players are injured for a team are, are they like the space that those sites <laughs> leave for players are not big enough to fit all the players who are now injured or dealing with COVID. Uh, so it's, it's going to continue to be it. And, and I think it certainly seems like Joe Biden uh, is, going to listen to the nerds, <laughs> the medical people and the uh, epidemiologists who actually study this sort of thing and try to figure out a solution. There's also news today that Pfizer, I guess, is halfway through, I think, phase three of its uh, study. And that's 90. They, they think that it's about 90 percent. They're they're. They're, I'm looking at this story to make sure I get it right. They're at about 90% on their vaccine as they think it's effectiveness. So, you know, there's good news coming on this front, but man, the numbers just keep going up and up and up. I think the, I think the five uh, largest gains in uh, the number of cases in America have been over the last six or seven days. Uh, you know, so we are, we are sort of unbeknownst to most people, we are at the peak of the coronavirus pandemic right now in this country uh it's it's different we were talking about this earlier today in slack like you know we we're all a little bit more used to wearing masks we're all a little bit used to being six feet away we're we're all more accustomed to trying to stay outside um, the people treating coronavirus have a better idea of it now so there there are things that are making it safer and that we, you know as a as a society we have adjusted a little bit but man this it feels like we are just barreling toward a situation where uh, I, I hope that the NFL has some plan to get things done, you know, without just saying, you know, hey, players, go go deal with this. Yeah, I, I don't have faith in the NFL having that plan. I think you're at the point of no return. Like, right. It's either shut down the season or just forge ahead. And obviously the NFL is just going to forge ahead like the country is doing at large. But you talking about the data nerds in the election gave me this this thought, this horrifying thought. Uh-oh. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, brace yourself for this one. I think Trump is going to pull a Mike McCarthy, take a little uh, trip to PFF, <laughs> you know, learn some things, and then come back in 2024 as a new man. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> oh, man. You I mean that sarcastically, by the way. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, 
Trump very clearly is going to try to come back or one of his children or something. And you better believe I'm going to tweet that out and double down <laughs> on that joke because it's too <laughs> This is You're seeing Stephen's uh, tweet jokes being formulated in live time here. So I hope you guys are enjoying this. All right, let's dig in on some football. Let's start with that Sunday night debacle, uh, the Saints and Bucks. Um my one of my best friends in the world is a huge Saints fan and a uh, big listener of the counter and he was he was needling me as the game went on and as the Saints pulled away from the Bucks. What do you make of this uh, this outcome? I, I think that we have mentioned before that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, which was uh, rated, it was number one at DBOA, right? I mean, yeah. it was it was high, uh, which we thought highly of. You know, we were we were looking at defenses and we were saying, hey, the Colts' defense is, is overrated. A lot of numbers are pointing to it being good, and it has some weaknesses. Uh, I don't think we were quite that down on the Bucks, but but you did have a theory that uh, it would struggle against uh, certain types of offenses that there was that, that it was susceptible. So is that what you saw happen here? What's your read of, of what actually occurred in this game? Yeah. And the stats back it up, uh, early pass downs or early pass plays are on early down. So first and second down, the, the saints average 0.31 EPA per play with a success rate of 59. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah. And, it's pretty good. Uh, their pass rate, like, the numbers, the run pass splits on early downs ended up like evening out because they were up so much and they were running so much in the second half. But when the win probability was between 20 and 80%, the Saints actually had the fourth highest pass rate on early downs of the week. So they were passing it early. Like I, I advise, I think you have to attack this defense on early downs when they're in their base defense and they're playing more standard coverages. They're not really blitzing. They're not getting into those exotic looks that Todd Bowles loves so much and you're right. avoiding the blitzes and the, the, I don't think the Bucks really blitzed Drew Brees at all last night. So he didn't have to deal with the same pressure that Aaron Rodgers did when the Packers got blown out by the Bucks. Interesting. And what do you make of, of Tom Brady's, uh, you know, you said earlier that you're back to thinking he's washed. Uh, I mean, there's, there's probably some middle ground. I was, yeah, there, I was like, exaggerating. I think it just shows, like, what we wrote last year, the headline was, like, Tom Brady's right. washed, but that just means he's Kirk Cousins now. And I think you can – I think that argument is stronger now, like, when everything around him is great and he has all these weapons. He has right. a, an offensive line that's been pretty good this year, and he's performed well, but it's also like, yeah, like, there's a long list of quarterbacks that would also perform well and thrive in this situation. And then when you up, go up against a team like the Saints – we have given the Bucks problems in both games this year. The Saints have a deep secondary, and they can kind of neutralize that advantage that the Bucks have against other teams because of those weapons. They can match up with those weapons, and Tom Brady is forced to beat you on his own, essentially. Like, he has to be the deciding factor, and he just he hasn't been capable of doing that in the two games against the, the uh, Saints. Uh, I was excited to see Adam Trotman getting some catches. Uh, that was a that was a tight end that you were higher on than I think most people in the draft. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, that, I was excited to see that too. I think it makes sense. I think that's how you kind of have to attack this team is over the middle. And if you have a good tight end, it makes it easier because the, the Bucks are a team that likes to blitz and their linebackers are very aggressive and they might bite on play action. I think the Saints are running a lot of play action. That's just like 
from me watching the game, I don't have any numbers backing that up. Right. And so I'm not surprised that he had a big game, big game. And then hopefully it's like a sign of things to come and he gets more playing time. Maybe like you never know with these rookies, it's hard to judge them because they just didn't have a, a full off season training camp. So right. it makes sense that they would kind of be behind the eight ball and maybe get a late start on the season. Uh, the counter favorite, uh, Jameis Winston, uh, was was caught after the game eating the W, which which nice. we love. What do you mean yeah. caught? That makes it sound like it was a bad thing. I mean, he was he was trying to eat the W in private, and it leaked <laughs> out. I think. I mean, eating the W is something you do with your teammates in the in the sanctity of the locker room. I'd like to believe that he's done that after every win, <laughs> not just that they beat the Bucks. My favorite stat from last night was that five quarterbacks played in the game <laughs> last night, and Tom Brady was the worst one. Oh, that includes man. Wayne Gabbard, who just came in to kneel the ball. But Tom Brady, <laughs> he was responsible for minus 21 EPA last night. Like you minus 21? Oh, my gosh. Minus 21. That's like Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham against the Chiefs bad. And, like, isn't this why you brought in Tom Brady to dominate against these these top-level teams, like the big games on Sunday night, and he did not come through. Like, I, I'm really looking forward to the press ripping him like they ripped Cam Newton, who, by the way, was the second-best quarterback for EFF last week. I'm really looking forward to those stories. Yeah. I'm sure right. it will come. Negative, negative uh, 5.7 completion percentage over expectation, uh, which, yeah, not good when he has all sorts of help around him. Um, so uh, where are the saints now in your pecking order? The, the Packers also had a fairly impressive win over the 49ers on Thursday night. Uh, how are you seeing the NFC shape up at this point? So I think it all comes down to who gets the buy. Hmm. And right now I think the saints might have like the easiest path to the buy because they're, their uh, schedule is pretty easy, at least compared to the other top teams like the Seahawks, the Bucks. And they right. obviously have the tiebreaker over the Bucks now. And uh, the Packers is that's the team that they have to leapfrog. And I, I think I wrote this last week that the Saints really need that buy more than other teams, just because Drew Brees playing outdoors in January doesn't sound like a good recipe right. for success for that offense. So I mean, I don't think it matters, which we're going to get into later in the podcast, but. Like the NFC is so cluttered at the top, there's nothing really separating those teams. They're all flawed in some some mm-hmm. way that's very important. Right. And I really think it comes down to that buy. There's only one team getting the buy this week or this year, and I think that's the most important thing in this race. Yeah. So the Saints, they have the 49ers next, um, uh, and then go Falcons, Broncos, Falcons, Eagles. Uh, I, I'm kind of hoping the Eagles will just opt out by then. Uh, but the NFC East should be. Okay, I, I have the updated uh, odds from 538 on first round bye. And the Packers actually still have the best shot. Oh, okay. They have the 31, uh, 31% chance. Saints, 29. Seahawks, 26. Interesting. Because then they're all the way down to five, by the way. Now. Wow. Because after the Eagles, the, the Saints play the Chiefs, which obviously will be a tough game. Uh, but then Vikings and Panthers. So, I mean, really, there's only two games that should be any challenge for the saints. That's the 49ers and chiefs. Where's um, the, the chief saints game at? Is it in New Orleans? I think it's in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, that might be the only loss for both of those teams. Right. 
so yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, anxious. And I think the the biggest takeaway from last night was that the Saints' defense and its secondary played so well, and they didn't give up any big plays. And that's been the issue all year with this defense. Obviously, the offense has had its own issues, but they have Sean Payton and Drew Brees, and they have a, a lot of weapons coming back. Emmanuel Sanders. Michael right, Thomas Michael Thomas came Thomas. back, and I mean that it, it was pretty clear that that helped Breeze, right? I mean, just having that guy that he knew, sort of exactly where he was going to be, and I mean, right. it just felt like he was much more comfortable because uh, he's yeah, not so like, comfortable right now. I I think I would pick the Saints to win the NFC, and it's going to change every week. Like, don't look for any consistency for me. It's going to change every week. <laughs> Don't look for any consistency but, from me. <laughs> I want you to get that tattooed somewhere. Uh, I am a man who says whatever he has to say to get through. <laughs> whatever I gotta say to get the take dump done, I'm saying it. <laughs> we just dump those takes. That's the most important thing. By the uh, by the way, going back to 2019, Jameis Winston now has Tom Brady beat in basically every advanced metric: CPOE, EPA per play, success rate. Tom Brady now has a lower success rate than Cam Newton does on the season. So maybe we should go again. We should go back to those takes we had last week about Cam Newton, how much they missed Tom Brady. Man, only a petty person would bring that up, and I'm not too bad <laughs> to do such a thing. Speaking of petty people, uh, who uh, I haven't checked your mentions, but uh, Josh Allen and the Bills were good again this week. Uh, beat the Seahawks. I mean, I, like. Let's let's get the disclaimer out there that it's just very tough for West Coast teams to travel east and play. We know that uh, Russell Wilson was at first really rough game of the season, right? I mean, he's he's had a couple others where he took steps back, but I think this one he was actively bad at times. Um, and uh, my question for you is that you are heading into this game. The question the, the you know, your main point was, will the Buffalo Bills defense get better? Like, because if, if that can happen, given that Josh Allen has taken a few steps forward, uh, you know, he's not he's not who Bills fans think he is, but he, he has progressed a little bit this year. And we were thinking that that progression would be met with a defense that continued to be nearly as good as at least as it was last year. And that hadn't happened. So I'm wondering, did it happen this week? Is this the step? Did Sean McDermott fin- figure it out with his defense? And are we now looking at the bills as sort of jumping up into that tier with the Ravens and Steelers chasing the chiefs? I'm not ready to say that just yet, because I think the turnovers the bills got kind of masked the fact that the Seahawks didn't really have any issues moving the ball. And a lot of that may have been Russell Wilson just being Russell Wilson. Like, he had a couple plays that were plays that really only he can make. But, like, on the game, the Seahawks had a 51% success rate. So it's not like they didn't – like, the, the Bills, for instance, who scored, like, 40 points, had a 55%. So there wasn't a wide gap there. The difference was the Seahawks turned the ball over, the Bills didn't. So – and you can't rely on turnovers every week. You're not going to get four turnovers every week. So n- I'm not ready to say the Bills' defense is back. And they still gave up a ton of points, I believe. I think they gave up 30 points, although some of them came in garbage time. But this looked more like the Bills' offense we saw those that first month. Right. Where it's not just that Josh Allen, Josh Allen played well. I'm not going to take anything away from him, even though I want to. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like the offensive line like really did a, a good job. Uh their pass block 
win rate was above average. I think it was like 59% and league average is 57%. And Josh Allen took like seven sacks. That just goes to show how much time he had in the pocket. He could just sit back there and wait and just pick apart a bad Seahawks defense. That is not get that did not get any better uh, with Jamal Adams back in the lineup, and I think we can declare that trade is officially a lost one for the Seahawks. Yeah. So what uh, what exactly happened there? I mean, you diagnosed that. I thought you put it nicely that really what you want from a great safety now is someone who can flash as a cornerback. You know, who can sort of jump over and cover people who are hard to cover and. Jamal Adams is more of a guy who can flash as a, a blitzing linebacker. Uh, and he does. I mean, he's, you know, this, the Seahawks blitzed him relentlessly yesterday. And he, he that's obviously a role that he really enjoys. And he's effective at it, but it's not what's best for the actual defense. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago on the podcast when I read off that quote from Kyle Shanahan about the Seahawks defense, about right. how it's so sound on the back end. But now they have to blitz because they have no defensive line. Maybe you should have used those two first round picks on getting <laughs> another pass rusher. But now you have all these holes in the secondary because you are sending that extra guy. And when the other team is capable of picking up those those blitzes, which the Bills offensive line is real is just so much more different when John Feliciano's out there. Our mm. buddy Nate Tice, I think he would. I think Feliciano was in Oakland when Nate Tice was there, but he really loves him, and he says that he's like the key to calling their protections. Like he's the guy that sorts all that out. So when you have a smart offensive line that's gonna pick up those blitzes, which they were doing against the Seahawks, now you have holes in the secondary, and the quarterback has all the time in the world to throw. There's just, it's impossible to win on defense like that, and that's what the Bills were able to do. And I thought it was in, interesting that uh, after the game, Pete Carroll was quoted as saying he expected the Bills to attack their <laughs> attack on the ground. Like right. he just assumes everyone <laughs> thinks like him. But like the Seahawks have the sixth best uh, run defense and like the worst pass defense in the league. Why would you expect that to be the case? And the Bills just totally abandoned the run. I think at one point they had like 27 passes to one run on first and second down. I think this was like right. around halftime. So yeah, I mean, they only, your weakness. they only had 19 carries total and seven of them were for Josh Allen. So it was pretty clear what they were doing. Uh, uh, let me put you on the spot. Where is Josh Allen uh, just in your rankings right now? Like if you had to do rankings, where is Allen? What, what number is he? I don't care about all the, other, the rest of the context, but I just want to understand sort of where you see him. In the right, let me part. put up, let me bring up a list of teams. I'm going to say, Ooh, like a big discussion, like a big debate for me would be Derek Carr or Josh Allen. I think that's like the tier he's at. Oh, wow. Maybe like like hovering around that middle tier. But it's hard to say because he's so volatile. Like Mm -hmm. good Josh Allen is is pretty damn good. And we saw good Josh Allen. He was really good this weekend. Yeah, I mean, at 13 uh, CPOE. Uh, you know, he was aggressive. He was throwing the ball down the field. I mean, he's got a great arm. I mean, you still watch him throw when it doesn't look right. Like, mm-hmm, even, right. like his feet were – you go watch this game and you, you'll see what I mean. And, like, some of his throws were – the ball placement could have been a lot better. But, I mean, he still completed the passes. And, like, that's my biggest gripe with him right now is I think he's improved accuracy-wise, mm-hmm. like, on on the whole, like, from a 30,000-foot view. But, like, 
the micro level accuracy is just not there yet. And I think that's the next step for him. I also think just like playing on time is another step that he needs to take. Like it's easy when you have all the time in the world to go through your progressions, but can you do mm-hmm. it when you have a normal pocket in the NFL? Yeah. But yeah, so I would put him around like that middle tier. I, I mean, I, I take him over like, I take him over a guy like Teddy Bridgewater who's having a good year, but I don't think he like elevates an offense. I think Josh Allen does that with with his legs alone. Right. The counter. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the next game, which is the Cardinals Dolphins game. And these two quarterbacks, again, we like we hyped this game as like, okay, it's it's a, an exciting offensive coach and Cliff Kingsbury against a, a defensive mind and Brian Flores, and then two young quarterbacks, Kyler Murray, who's obviously in his second year, and Tua Tagovailoa, who was in his second start. And these two guys put up the best two CPOEs of the weekend. And this game was so fun. I mean, this was just a great football game. Like, I'm not sure that we, I'm not sure that either of them is really in the tier that we're going to be talking about. Uh, I mean, they could be sort of one of those lurking teams that makes a a run if they get in the playoffs like the Titans did last year. But just a really fun football game and just like two fun young quarterbacks to watch. Yeah, Tua was really impressive. And I think he has more zip on his throws than maybe I gave him credit for at Alabama, or maybe just his arm just got stronger over the offseason. But he really impressed me. And I, I wasn't really surprised. Like, he didn't have a great stat line last week, but I thought that was just, like, rookie jitters. And after he settled down, he looked like a competent quarterback. And then we saw that more this week. But I was going to put this in the take dump, but I ended up not putting it in. But I feel better about the Cardinals' future after this game than I did after the Seahawks win. Interesting. Which, I mean, I think the Seahawks might have been undefeated at the time. And that was, like, obviously a big win for that team, for a young team. Right. But I feel better about Cliff Kingsbury after this game for sure because he's dealing with our defense that's very hard to prepare for. We saw that against the Rams last last week and i thought he had some answers for the things that brian flores does which are hard to to uh go up against for especially a young quarterback and i thought kyler murray also showed that he is a quarterback that can overcome problems like with the offensive line whereas jared goff couldn't he's not just a product of the system like jared goff where, where if like you're getting out coached your quarterback isn't going to help you i think kyler murray is one of those players already and he's still very young my only concern about this team going forward, now that I'm, I feel a little bit better about Cliff, which I had been worried about him earlier in the year, and I feel a lot better about Kyler. I'm still worried about Steve Kime and the, him being the GM. I just feel like he's going to waste Murray's rookie contract, uh, and he's not great at managing the cap. So after it's time to pay Murray, I just don't see them like maintaining a great team around him. So... I'm excited for Cliff. I'm excited for Kyler. Not excited for Steve Kime. It just goes to show you never want that third K. Only two K. Took you a while. It was a thinker. <laughs> I, I was actually thinking that the uh, that the head coach's name is Cliff Kingsbury. So, <laughs> well, yeah. We get, do we know what his, Do we There's know what his middle name is? By the way, <laughs> that's a little concerning. <laughs> oh man are the uh dolphins a- any threat to the bills i mean the bills are, are running away with, with the the sc east uh 
Do you see the Dolphins? Is there any path for them? Uh, they won this game 34 to 31, by the way. I don't think we mentioned the score. Uh, so they moved to five and three. Uh, is there any threat there, you think, or the Bills have a pretty clear path? Yeah, I think the Bills have a clear path. They are currently they currently have an 88% chance to win the division per 538. And the I think the Dolphins are at 11, and the Patriots, I guess, are at 1. I'm assuming the Jets are 0. So, yeah, I think it's a little too late for the Dolphins to make a run at the Bills, and they also lost that first game against them. Right. So it's going to be tough to make up that ground. But hmm, if I was, like, investing in a team's future – I think I might take I think I might take the Dolphins over the Bills like for the next oh, wow. three or four years. I don't know. I would have to think about that more. I'm just kind of just firing that take off. Yeah, that's what Monday's for, man. You just fire the takes off. We figure we'll figure them out later. We'll sort out which are the real takes and which are the fake takes. By the way, Cliff Kingsbury's middle name is Timothy, so <laughs> saved by the Timothy. Good, good. Um, let's talk Ravens Colts. Uh, Ravens end up winning this one 24 10. If you would have, if we would have talked about this game at halftime, uh, I, I mean, I know everyone in Baltimore was, was absolutely freaking out. Uh, the Colts were winning 10 to seven. The Ravens offense was doing absolutely nothing. Uh, it really felt like, okay, maybe, maybe Baltimore's offense has forgotten how to play and maybe Lamar Jackson, uh, is not going to regain anything close to his MVP form. But then the second half happened, and the Ravens won pretty easily 24-10. Uh, the defense was fantastic. I think there uh, might be a – I mean, they're, they're certainly one of the better defenses. They seem to be getting better. Uh, although Calais Campbell went out with an injury. I don't know how serious that is. But what did you see in this game? What, what do you make of the Ravens bouncing back after losing to the Steelers? Uh, I'm encouraged by what I saw. Like, even in the first half, I know they didn't score a lot of points, but I didn't think it was that bad. They were just not doing well on third down, and they weren't mm-hmm. staying on the field. Like, Lamar, I thought, was fine in the first half, and then he was great in the second half. And what's so encouraging about it is the Colts are like a sound defense, and they were, they were like playing the option game really well. They were able to take that away, essentially. I think the Ravens, yeah, they averaged um, – negative 0.19 EPA per run. So it's not like they had a run game and Lamar still had a good efficient day passing the ball. And I thought he was calm in the pocket and he was going through his progressions and he was mostly accurate. So that's a good sign for them, especially against a good team on the road. Like those are always hard to win. I'm more concerned about Phillip rivers now. Like this was the first game where I was like, okay, his arm is officially a problem. Like maybe it was just one game, but (laughs) his arm was terrible on Sunday. Like he threw a couple passes that were, that were Joe Burrow esque. Oh no. <laughs> I had no. to slip in some Joe Burrow slander. I know he's on a buy, so I had to slip it in somehow. Poor Joe Burrow is just hanging, hanging out in Cincinnati somewhere. Like if this was week one and it's that was slander. the only game I saw from rivers, I would have been ready to like, just write them off. So maybe he bounces back next week, but that was ugly, but it's know. still the same old story with the Colts. The thing that I've been harping on all season, like, it seemed like every drive came down to a third and five, third and seven for the Colts. They're just like perpetually in third and five situations. Right. And they haven't been great on third downs, and, and their luck will change eventually. That's just how it goes for third down plays. And the offense will look better. But why are they running the ball so much? They're like one of the the teams like ranked last in 
run rate based on like situation. I think they're, they run or they pass 3% less than they should based on situation. I don't know what the stat is, but it's something like that. Like they're relying on the run way too much when it's obvious they don't have a run game. They just don't like in theory on paper they do because their offensive line is good, but it hasn't led to success on the ground. Right. Maybe it's strategic and they're trying to save Rivers' arm for the next couple months by having him throw less, but still, you're not going to get to those next couple months if you if you don't start passing the ball more. Right. And I mean, he's, you know, the vast majority of his throws are not deep throws. I mean, they should right. not be taxing his arm too much. What did you think of the Marcus Peters interception? Uh, you know, Peters grabbed the ball, sort of stumbled backwards a few steps, and that was ruled that he had control. And, you know, because the ball came out as he hit the ground. What, what was your take on that? It seems like it was one of the more controversial calls we've had this season so far i thought it was fine like i didn't I did. love i didn't yeah. love the call but i like by the rules it right. seemed like a catch like he caught the ball like he didn't have a great grasp on it but the ball wasn't moving right and he took like four or five steps and then it didn't come out until the colts guy slammed him on the ground so i think it makes sense to be a fumble like if a player catches the ball and, and runs and takes four steps it's a catch so i didn't really have a problem with it Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it was just one of those plays where, like you said, by the rules, it was pretty clear cut, but it just looked so weird as a football play that people yeah. are like, well, wait, that, that can't possibly count. Um, I think like football Twitter just hasn't had a lot of, of those plays that they've been able to be like, <laughs> what is a catch? Like, you know, like, you used to get those every week. But so they got one and they just jumped on it. They were like, you got to ride it. When, when the wave comes, Steven, you just take it no matter right. what. Man. I get it. I get it. <laughs> it happens to you. Let's talk about the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers stayed undefeated, eight and zero, beating the Cowboys twenty four to nineteen. Um, it, you know, not not an impressive game at all. Uh, you know, the the Steelers needed to score fifteen points in the fourth quarter to to pull this out against an absolutely atrocious Cowboys team. But, I, I mean, this is the formula for the Steelers right now, right? Like, we've talked about it all season. Ben Rossberger is not leading some skyrocketing offense. He's not going to wing the ball over the field. He's not going to make big plays happen, generally. Uh, so, this is sort of the formula. They, they won a close game against the Ravens. Now they win a close game against the Cowboys. Uh, I mean, is this sustainable at all in your mind? No, and I think I've been saying that, like, every week. Right. So, this see, look, this is another prior I had that, that – turned out to be a smart one on Sunday, their third down luck kind of regressed this week. I think they were like 40% on third down conversions against the, one of the worst defenses in the league. And they just really couldn't move the ball. And what's going to happen if their third down luck turns against a good team, it's not going to be close in the fourth quarter. If you're playing like that against the chiefs, it's going to be a blowout. And I think you get to add like five other teams to that list. I do not want to like if the Steelers have to go up against like the Bucks, for instance, and they're in third and five all game long. Like Todd Bowles is going to murder Ben Roethlisberger. Like there's no way he end, finishes that game. We're going to see Mason Rudolph playing. So, I mean, that's my takeaway from this game. Yes, the Steelers won. They found another way to win the game uh, or win a close game in the fourth quarter. But my my take on the Steelers. Is, it's the same as it's been for the last couple of weeks. They're a good team. They're not a great team. Uh, you didn't watch this game closely, right? No, no, not at all. You couldn't do anything to get me to turn 
<laughs> Cardinals Dolphins for that game. I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out what Mike McCarthy needs to do to keep his job. I mean, I don't. You know, I haven't. I haven't read a lot of the reporting out of Dallas, and I, you know, Jerry Jones is a wild card. No matter what, you just never know what he's going to do. But it just seems like I, I don't. Where is there any hope? If you're a Dallas Cowboys fan right now, other than the fact that Dak Prescott will presumably heal and come back and Jerry Jones will presumably pay him what he's worth. But I, I mean, is there anything being shown by this coaching staff that would make you have faith going into next year? <laughs> no, not at all. I, maybe he's got to go back to PFF, but he's already played that card. So right. he's got to have, right. he, he has to like learn our and like start doing the stats. <laughs> he's got the big data bowl. He's the big data bowl. He'll he'll get a second year. <laughs> oh, amazing! He's just come out wearing like a, a Stanford sweatshirt to his next press <laughs> Right. Yeah, yes, getting a graduate degree. Uh, so that brings us to Chiefs Panthers, and we we sort of organized the show this way because we are leading up to uh, what we think it's is far and away the number one team in the league, the, the chiefs uh, who, like I said earlier, you know, you would look at the score and it was 33, 31 and you would not think like, Oh man, I am totally convinced the chiefs had a convincing victory over the lowly Carolina Panthers. They really are the, the elite team in the NFL. But as you broke down and take up this morning, uh, basically everything in this game went well for Carolina, not so much for Kansas city and Kansas city still, was mostly in control. You know, it never really felt like they were at risk of losing this game once it got later into it. Uh, so, Are you saying you weren't threatened by Teddy Bridgewater with no timeouts having to push the ball down the field? You know, I, <laughs> amazingly, it led to five checkdowns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Poor Teddy. I, I mean, bad bashing Teddy. He played well, but yeah, that was good. like very on brand for him. Yeah, and I mean, Christian McCaffrey came back, looked good. Uh, Joe Brady know. also continues to look good, which is a bad sign for the Panthers. They're definitely going to lose him. Yeah, the Cowboys should hire him. Uh, but yeah, t- take me through uh, some more of your observations. What exactly you saw that made you think that, that I mean, I think this is the week that we, we've been saying it for a while that Kansas City is a tier above, but. I think at this point, after week nine, you're sort of ready to say, like, hey, it's their league to lose, uh, which is you know, a pretty big statement to say uh, in the NFL, which has tons of parity. Yeah, the Panthers were really good on third down and fourth down. They like converted, I think, three fourth down conversions that led to points. They had a couple of penalties that really didn't have any bearing on the play that extended drives that led to points. Everything went right, and Patrick Mahomes was not – like his stat line was great, but he, I don't even think he played a very good game. It just goes to show like how big the margin for error is with this offense. Like they can not play well and still put up 33 points. And I think Mahomes still had four passing touchdowns, but he missed like he missed Tyree Kill on at least three deep balls. And Tyree Kill still ends up with 120 yards and two right. touchdowns. It's just ridiculous. That was a C game for the Chiefs, and it was an A plus game for the Panthers, and the Chiefs had a, a double-digit lead in uh, in the fourth quarter, or a two-possession lead in the fourth quarter. I, I I don't know what team outside of Baltimore has enough talent to really match up with the Chiefs, and we've right. seen the Chiefs are just a terrible matchup for what the Ravens do. Right. I mean, the Ravens will just have to con- 
completely rewrite their defensive strategy to, and I mean, I assume they will. I mean, because they've been just decimated by the Chiefs every time they've tried to blitz Mahomes right. as heavily as they like to blitz. Yannick Ngakwe might help right. in that regard, but it's going to be getting the Chiefs to third and long. And I, if I recall correctly, and maybe I'm not recalling correctly, the Dolphins are the Dolphins. The Ravens did do a pretty good job of getting the Chiefs to third down, but Mahomes just blacked out on third downs in that game. <laughs> so it didn't matter. That's the only team I'm willing to give a chance. Wow. Of course, like I mentioned in, in the take dump, it's football. It's a very dumb sport. And like the Chiefs might play a horrible game. And the team they're playing in the playoffs might play their best game of the season and they could lose. But if, there was like a 10 game series. I really don't know if a team wins three games. I don't know if a team wins two games against this. Team. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that happened last year to the, to the Ravens when they played the Titans, you know, right. I think the Ravens and Titans played 10 times. Those two teams last year, as they were playing at that point, it's, yeah, I mean, the Ravens probably win six, uh, maybe seven, uh, but it's football. I mean, you know, we wouldn't watch if it was actually easy to to predict. It wouldn't be fun. Uh, let's go into two of your other take dumps. And one was that you were pointing out how good Deshaun Watson's been. I mean, it's a total lost season for the Texans. And Watson is chugging along. And he's somehow getting better. Uh, and you, you had ranked him third in your QB rankings uh, behind Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, so that was pretty high. So I thought that you already had him in pretty high territory, but you, you told me that in fact, you think he's shown some things this season, which is hard to do because that team is just a total fire. Uh, he's shown some things that, that has elevated his status for you. So what, what exactly are you seeing out of him that, that makes you think he's taken the next step? The biggest thing is, one, he's proven that he's not reliant on DeAndre Hopkins. That's actually not one. The biggest thing is that he's avoided negative plays. Right. Which, that was always the complaint with Deshaun Watson. He was a volatile player. Like, he, he'd have these big games, but there'd also be some questionable decisions, some questionable throws. He'll take a lot of sacks. He's still taking a lot of sacks. Like, I think he's responsible for 10 sacks on the season, which is tied for the most. But the other person that has 10 sacks on them, and this is by PFF, is... Patrick Mahomes. So, right. like, that's a good uh, company to keep. But he's third in turnover-worthy throw percentage, which I think is a huge deal because the Texans are behind Always in every behind. game. Right. And it's basically him against the world. Like, he has no run game. The defense is just – it's like a bit – it's a comedy bit at this point. It's so poorly coached, and there's not a lot of talent. So, it's him against the world and he has all this weight on his shoulders. And usually that leads to quarterbacks forcing things and throwing into coverage and throwing interceptions. But Sean Watson hasn't done it. He's third in turnover worthy throw or play percentage. I think he's only behind. I want to, I think it's Tom Brady who obviously had a bad game last night and Aaron Rodgers. Like that's the class he's in when it comes to avoiding mental mistakes and then on top of that, he adds all this playmaking ability, like the type of playmaking that Tom Brady's not going to provide. Like he's a great scrambler. He's throwing downfield still. I like no player has overcome coaching to the degree he has. They're not a team that play calls a lot of play action. They don't run a lot of screens, although they did run some screens against Jacksonville and had a lot of success. But he doesn't have these shortcuts that other offenses provide their players. And 
uh, Sports Info Solutions has this great stat, which takes EPA and then it kind of using charting it it doles out uh, like credit based on a player's individual contribution to a play. And and right. Deshaun Watson leads the league in the stat by a wide margin. He's thirteen point right. three points ahead of Patrick Mahomes, who's in second. And the gap between Mahomes and Teddy Bridgewater, who ranks twelfth, is the same as the gap between Mahomes and Watson. Right. Yeah, it's it's insane. Uh, I mean, you point out here that the the fact that he's not, you know, for so many years we gave Philip Rivers like leeway. You know, oh, well, he plays for the Chargers, so he's got to he's got to do this, he's got to do that, he's got to try to make it happen. Uh, and he, you know, that's why he's making the mistakes he's making because he's he's putting the team on his shoulders. Uh, and like we actually have evidence that that's what Deshaun Watson's doing, and he's not making those turnover-worthy throws. I mean, that's like it's it's wild to the degree that he's how efficient he's been. And uh, you know, if the MVP was actually based on like which player is is providing the most value to his team, I don't think it would be even be close. Like the drop off if the Texans had any other quarterback, uh, you know, not not one of the elite, right? Like not Mahomes or Russell Wilson, but if you gave him just a run of the mill quarterback, if you gave him Josh Allen, uh, you know, who you put in that mid tier, like the drop off is probably fairly significant just because it's, I don't think people realize quite how bad the rest of the team is because Deshaun Watson actually lifts them up, you know, which is a difficult thing for quarterbacks to, to do. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, Tom Brady couldn't lift the Patriots last year and, has now gone, you know, picked a, picked a soft landing where he was going to have a lot of talent around him and still is not able to elevate that talent on on a consistent basis. And Sean Watson's doing that. So I'm, I'm glad that you pointed that out because it does tend, the NFL, just the way the season goes, you, you just start sort of not paying attention to teams and then sort of writing them off and thinking about what's next. But Deshaun Watson is just out there continuing to, to somehow find a way to get better. And uh, it's, it's an amazing and- story. And like last week, there was a discussion on ESPN. It was like, who would you rather have, Joe Burrow or Deshaun Watson? Which I just just boggles my mind that anyone that's even a debate. But like Dan Orlovsky picked Joe Burrow, so like it's not like I'm just saying Deshaun Watson is underrated and like he actually isn't, which is the thing we tend to do. Like he's actually underrated. He's an elite quarterback. Do not compare him to Joe Burrow. In week one, Deshaun Watson was 24. In a month, Joe Burrow will be 24. Right. In the same season, and Deshaun Watson is already like on a Hall of Fame pace. He's right. going with this. Watson's already already agreed to his next contract. <laughs> uh, speaking of quarterbacks who are on their rookie deals, this is and this tends to be sort of a way that we look at the league, right? Because teams that have QBs on their rookie deal have so much more flexibility, and if that QB on the rookie deal is good. Those teams have an inherent advantage uh, for being good and making the playoffs because they can build around that QB with talented free agents. Um, and so we tend to look at sort of that class uh, of you know that rolling group of players as they head toward uh, you know their fourth and fifth seasons. Uh, we tend to look at that group and, and sort of compare them. And you have a pretty you have a pretty hot fire take. In, in your take dump, and that is that uh, Justin Herbert is the best quarterback to enter the league since Lamar Jackson, and that he, after Jackson, Jackson will likely sign his contract after this season, 
so at, once that happens, Herbert will inherit the, the role as the best of that bunch, which is a huge thing for you to say because you are, you're a big Kyler Murray guy. Uh, you know, you were a believer in Kyler Murray for a long time. You really thought that he was above and beyond the rest of his class and that he was a pretty special prospect. So you are now saying, and Herbert, you were not sold on at all uh, heading into the draft. I mean, you, you saw some flaws and did not really feel that way. And you've, you've admitted here that you are doing a 180 on that. So what are you seeing? What, what makes you uh, dole out this lofty praise? Uh, like everything, <laughs> literally everything. You don't really like this guy. I'm I'm a little worried about how 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 excited you are. And 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 that take like that I would take him over Kyler really doesn't say anything negative about Kyler. I still think highly of Kyler. It's just that uh-huh. Justin Herbert has been so damn good, and he's not winning games. So Joe Burrow's getting that like this is the rookie that we need to pay attention to, and he's going to win a Super Bowl. But like. You compare their film, and it's not even close for me. It's not even close. And Herbert, like, name something you want a quarterback to do. Like, Herbert does it. He's He is at ease in the pocket. Like, I had a clip. I was going to put it in the takedown, but didn't have any place to put it. That made sense. But there's this clip where, like, the pocket is just, like, closed in around him. Like, he maybe has, like, a foot of space to each side of him. And he's just doesn't flinch and he throws the ball downfield it's an accurate pass i think it ends up being incomplete but like i was thinking about putting together uh, an article of just his incompletions <laughs> showing off how impressive his incompletions are and i have one in that in the post this week where he's reading like a, a it's like a boot play where he has it's like a three level flood concept like every team runs it like the right. 49ers run it all the time the rams run it all the time all right. And usually you like fake to the running back and he, he runs to the backside and you never see like a quarterback look to him and he's always right. open. Like I never, right. I always, I don't understand why they don't because the offensive line is also carrying out the run fake. So they're there to block for him. Right. And he went through his progressions on, on the strong side of the play, but then he took the time to look back all the way across the field just to check to see if the running back was open. Like the, it was actually defended well that there was a defender there. And then right. he threw the ball away. And, like, I did not think Herbert had that in his game. And yeah. there aren't a lot of quarterbacks that do at age 22. And right. I, I feel like Herbert's – or not Herbert, Burrow's gotten this reputation as the smart quarterback. Like, he's going to beat you with his mind. But I see the, all the same things with with Herbert. Plus, he adds the, the big-time throws. Plus, he's more of a threat as a runner. I think he's just a better athlete than Burrow. He doesn't run into sacks as much as Burrow does. Like the Chargers line, like as much as we made of of the Bengals line and how bad it is and how it's going to ruin Burrow, the Chargers line has been worse by like every metric. It's worse uh, by PFF grade. It's worse by ESPN's pass block win rate. But Herbert's just not running into sacks. Like he's not being phased by the pressure and he's still getting the ball out. And he's made a couple of throws that are just ridiculous. I think I didn't put this one in, but I'm going to tweet it out later. But he makes this throw against, I think it's the Jaguars, where he's running to his left and he takes a hit from an uh, unblocked defender and he kind of throws it across his body almost sideways, but it's like 15 yards downfield and he like puts it right where it needs to be. The The receiver can't get his feet inbounds, but it's like an accurate throw. And it's like one of the best throws I've ever seen. And wow. he has like five of those throws on his tape already and it's only, what, week nine. And he right. hasn't even started the whole season. I think, uh, you know... It, the way that you know you're in love is when 
someone throws an incompletion and you still admire it. Like that's that's love for a quarterback. Like I honestly think that's the best way to evaluate a quarterback or get a sense of his weaknesses is just to look at his incompletions and see why right. he's incomplete. Why like anyone can like everyone's gonna look good if you just look at their completions, but you really like figure out who's good and who's not based on looking at their incompletions. That's my take. There it is. A take. Like it. Yeah, no, he's uh he's so poised. I mean that that play, like you the the flood concept play, uh you know, it's both smart and brave. You know, the reason that a lot of quarterbacks don't do it is because, I mean, he had to turn his body. Mm-hmm. He was flowing left and he sort of had to turn his entire body right to be able to look. And, you know, like that's probably a scary position for a quarterback to be in. Cause you know, the play is designed for him to be, he's supposed to be getting chased, right? Like he's getting chased on that play and he's able to turn and look. So it's both smart and brave. Uh, and like you said, I mean, that's the thing I've noticed is that he's really poised. I mean, he, he's, uh, incredibly poised. And I don't know that I was looking back at some of the stuff we did um, on him heading into the draft. And, you know, you include a lot of clips and, and he did not look that way playing in Oregon's offense. Mm-hmm. And I think now the, the natural diagnosis of that is that Oregon's offense just was, <laughs> was not very good overall. And he was sort of unsettled in it. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it, even now, like you said, it's not like he has great protection. It's not like, I mean, he has Keenan Allen, but, but he's not yeah, playing on one of the better. Yeah. He's yeah. Off uh, the line. I think like the most important thing for a rookie quarterback, but like one of my big complaints about him was timing and like, I thought he just was late on a long throw, but that has not been a problem this year. Even when he has to move on from his first uh, read, he's still throwing it on time. And I just want to add one thing. Like, when we say the offense is bad, like, it wasn't bad. Oregon's offense wasn't bad for a college offense. Like, they did what they had to do to win games, and they won the Rose Bowl. So, mm-hmm. you can't say it was bad. But it was just not good for evaluating an NFL prospect. Right. It kind of, it's like the same thing as the Isaiah Simmons thing. Like, Clemson was in the business of winning football games, not preparing Isaiah Simmons for the NFL and having his best interest in mind. Right. And playing him at one position probably would have been the way to do that. The same with Oregon. Like they were trying to win football games. So playing the offense, they did probably helped. Simmons sneakily had a, he had some impact on that game. I don't know if you, if you caught that, but he was, he was in a couple times. He had like four tackles by the end. He's finding his way, Steven. All right. <laughs> <Top 10 pick. laughs> CD Lamb uh, on the board. CD Lamb scored a touchdown, by the way. Speaking yes, of top, Speaking of top picks, the uh, Monday night game is the Patriots-Jets. Uh, Jets will continue marching toward taking Trevor Lawrence unless they – I don't know. Justin Fields can't catch Lawrence, right? What do you think? Fields has been a little bit better this season. Yeah, I don't think he's much, much smaller sample size. And I, I'd also say that, like, Zach Wilson might catch Fields. Oh, wow. Like, that seems to be where the momentum is going. But, like, it doesn't matter. Like, those three guys – I haven't watched Wilson yet, but I, I'm just, so I'm just relying on other people that I trust. But apparently he's, like, a real prospect. Yeah. So maybe I have to watch him. All right. You can – I want to see that. I want to I want to see some film, some college film break. Obviously, that's valuable based on my Justin Herbert. <laughs> uh, Patriots, I don't know, two and five, so – not much exciting going on with this Monday night game, but you know, I guess we'll see 
see if they finally figure out how to use Cam Newton. You didn't you didn't get your takeoff last week. We talked a little bit about it, uh, but that uh, that you're putting a lot of blame on Josh McDaniels, I think, for not not figuring this offense out. Yeah, I just haven't been impressed at all. I've talked about how the run game doesn't really mesh with the play action pass game, but they're how they call plays on early downs just doesn't make sense to me. They're running way too much. I think you got you have to make or give Cam Newton an opportunity to complete easy passes. And when he's throwing on third and seven and third and long every every pass play, like of course his efficiency numbers are gonna look bad. When you separate his early down passes from his third down passes, he's a completely different quarterback. He's like a top ten quarterback stat wise on first and second down and then he's bottom ten on third down and it makes sense because that's when teams play man coverage and if you don't have receivers that can beat man coverage there's only so much a quarterback can do outside of scrambling right well maybe they'll start fixing it tonight i don't i the nfl really should start being able to flex monday night games yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my take on on what's about to happen tonight uh that's all we got for the counter uh on this lovely Monday, uh, we'll be back on Friday. You can find Stephen on Twitter at the Stephen Ruiz. I'm at Chris Corman. We will take a look at a couple things later this week. We'll have cut-ups where Stephen will um, identify some trends worth noting and show you all the film on them and make some observations. Uh, you know, and we'll dig in on whatever else is going on around the league. So, hope you stick with us, Stephen. How should we end it? I'm making a plea to one person in particular, because he's the only person that I think will be willing to do this, to Tony Dungy to give Deshaun Watson an MVP vote. If you gave Bobby Wagner an MVP vote, you can give one to Deshaun. It's, it's time. I like it. I co-sign. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next time. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Wind, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. 